Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The truth of the matter is we have a limited amount of time and we don't know how much time we do have. And, and of course, on a personal level, none of us know how much time we have. But we know that the stage is set, so to speak. And so we must work while it is day. The night is coming. And, and the stuff we're reading about is the night. It's the darkest point in human history. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 2, in a message titled, The Power of the Dark Side. Now, here's Pastor Brian. The Antichrist is really more the second beast than the first. You see, the first beast is primarily a political ruler, although there are obviously spiritual overtones to all of that. But the second beast is specifically a spiritual ruler. And if we understand that there are two beasts, we understand that one is a Gentile, the other rises up out of the Jewish nation. This helps us to make sense out of some of the prophetic passages that have been a bit perplexing. And I want to show you that in, in just a second. But notice here, uh, he has uh, horns like a lamb, so looks like a lamb, speaks like a dragon. So we've heard of the wolf in sheep's clothing. Well, this is the dragon in sheep's clothing. This is the, the devil who appears to be a, a prophet and later, the book of Revelation is going to specifically refer to the second beast as the false prophet. So he becomes known from this point forward as the false prophet. And, and all the way through the rest of the book of, Re of Revelation, you have the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. But they're both designated as beast. And remember, these are ferocious beasts, and that's because what they do is they destroy that's their ultimate goal and objective. But as we look at this false prophet, he exercises all the authority of the first beast. He causes all to worship, and he does so by the performance of miracles. And it's mentioned here that he has power to shut up heaven. Remember, the two witnesses had that same power, but they were, they're, they're gone from the scene. They were there the first three and a half years. This is the second three and a half years. And, uh, but Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when he's talking about the same thing there, he talks about the son of perdition. That's his term for the beast. And he talks about there in the context, he's talking about how uh, he will go into the temple of God. He will show himself to be God. He will demand to be worshiped as God. And Paul uses these terms, with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the way that the second beast is going to move the people of the world to worship the first beast is through these lying wonders, these miraculous powers that he is going to have the ability to exercise power even to grant 
life to the image that is going to be made. Now, this is where it just gets absolutely, you know, just weird, just bizarre. But as we're going to see in a few minutes, it's as, as much as, you know, 50 years ago and, and anywhere beyond that, this just seemed like pure science fiction. You know, we are living in a time where all of this stuff is becoming more and more. You, you can see it now. You can see the potential for it. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let's go back to just this understanding of the false prophet. So like I said, we mistakenly speak of the Antichrist singular. We have to understand there are two. Now, the first one, as I said, is primarily a political leader. The second one is primarily a spiritual leader. One of them is a Gentile. The other is a Jew. And this is where the confusion is cleared up. The book of Revelation uh, clears up some things that are said earlier back in the Old Testament that have led to some confusion. Now, I don't know how versed you are in prophecy, how much you've studied this over the years, Christ. I mean, on the one hand, understanding that, you know, he somehow comes out of Europe, out of the revived Roman Empire, but then there, there are certain passages that seem to indicate that he might have a Jewish background. You know, what, how do you reconcile these things? Well, here's how it's reconciled. It's the book of Revelation that lets us know that there are two of them. That wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. Just like the, the first and the second coming of Jesus were not clear in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had the, the Messiah is coming. And you had most of the passages about the Messiah that spoke of his glorious kingdom, sitting upon the throne of David and so forth. But then you had these other passages that referred to suffering and, and death and things like that. So this caused confusion and an inability to really, you know, specifically understand, you know, how is the Messiah going to somehow suffer and die, but yet rule and reign? Well, what wasn't made clear is that there are two comings to the Messiah. And likewise, with this subject that we're dealing with here, the Old Testament seemed to speak of, be speaking of just one person, but there were conflicting things, it's cleared up in the book of Revelation that there are actually two people involved here. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, 8, 9, and 11, that's where we find the primary Old Testament prophecies on this person. We'll use the singular for a moment, on this person. But, but actually, it's these two people, but it wasn't clarified in Daniel. It's clarified for us now in Revelation. In Daniel 7, 8, and 9, the focus is on the, the Gentile leader, the first beast. That's the focus of, of the prophecy in 7, the prophecy in 8, and the prophecy in 9. But when you come to the prophecy in chapter 11, which seems to be speaking of the same person, but this is where the confusion comes in because it seems like there's a Jewish component here. This is where we actually have the prophecy of the second beast, the false prophet. Let me read to you from Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 39. It says, then the king, so this is a reference to the second beast, the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt, magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods and shall prosper till the wrath 
has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. Now listen to this. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. Right there. That's where people stop saying, wait, what a second, the God of his fathers. That is a, that is a term that's used over and over in the Old Testament to speak of the God of Israel. But then he adds this, nor the desire of women. Now, some people have actually thought because of this reference, nor the desire of women, some people have speculated that the end to Christ is going to be a homosexual. But that's not what it's talking about. The desire of women was a term that was used among the Jews to refer to the Messiah. The Messiah, every woman wanted to be the mother of the Messiah. So the idea, the desire of women, that was a messianic term. So what is it saying about this person? It's saying that he will not regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, speaking of the Messiah, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place, he shall honor a God of fortresses a, and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus, he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God. Now listen to this, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. So you see, it's the second beast that's being referred to here. He's not going to worship the God of his fathers. He is going to be the false prophet. See, because here's the question that people would ask. They would ask, well, okay, if the, if the Antichrist is going to be a Gentile coming out of the Gentile nations, how in the world are the Jews going to embrace him as the Messiah? They're not initially they're going to embrace this one as the Messiah, the false prophet. You see, Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. This is the false prophet. And notice what it says about him, that he will advance the glory of this other God. And that's exactly what we read about here in the text. He's the one who tells all those who dwell on the earth to make an image, to worship the beast. He's the one who leads in all of this. So all of that to say, we have two antichrists. And this second one is more specifically the antichrist because he becomes the false messiah for the Jews. And as I said, Daniel speaks about this, but there's an interesting passage in Zechariah that seems to also support the idea that there is a, a death attempt on this person who uh, Zechariah refers to as the foolish shepherd. But one final thing we want to look at here, and that is verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one can buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here it is. It's the mark of the beast. How many times have we heard references to that? And, you know, for some people, it's just a, a pure mystery. For some people, it's ridiculous that such a thing could even be proposed. For others, it utterly strikes terror into their hearts. They live life worrying about 
maybe they've received the mark of the beast. Maybe, you know, they inadvertently got it. All kinds of anxiety <laughs> that people have had over the mark of the beast. But listen, we don't need to have anxiety over it because the church is not appointed to wrath. The church, God's people, will, will be delivered from this time. And I, I often tell people, I've, I've spoken to people over the years who have been in great anxiety over whether or not they've received the mark of the beast because of you know, some of the different things that have happened with technology and with commerce and you know, credit cards and these kinds of things. And just say, look, no, it, don't worry about it. No, you haven't. It's a very specific thing. It's not something that you're going to accidentally or inadvertently have happen to you. As we look at the, the text itself, it, it makes it clear that everyone who receives the mark of the beast does so intentionally and fully knowing what they're doing. That's the crazy thing about it. It's blatant, as I said earlier, blatant satanic worship. Now, but notice here real quickly that it's connected with buying and selling. You can't buy or sell a single thing without this mark in the future. One other thing here, and this is, again, I, I said this in the beginning, but implied in the statement is the technological ability to make this happen. I mean, it just says it clearly. Everybody is going to receive this mark, everybody in the world. Now, like I said, 50 years ago and anywhere beyond 50 years ago, this was so perplexing to Bible teachers, most of them said, okay, this can't be literal. There's no way it could be literal because there's no way this can happen. It's got to be figurative. It's got to be symbolic. It's got to mean something other than what it says. Well, today we don't have to struggle with that any longer because the technology is not only here, it's uh, advanced well beyond that. But one last thing on the mark of the beast, understand this, the mark that people receive that they cannot buy or sell without is a sign, it's an indicator that the person is a worshiper of the beast. That's what the sign indicates. It's not just a thing that is connected to the new economy, the new way of doing business. It is directly connected back to the worship of the beast. So real quickly as we close, the current landscape. As I've said, going through Revelation, what we're doing is we're looking at what the book says and we're asking the question, are there things around us in the world today that indicate that we're moving in the direction? And of course, in each and every situation, we've been able to answer in the affirmative, yes, there are. And so likewise with this, as we look at the world today, as we look at the current landscape, as we look at the current landscape politically, there is, a, there is a massive worldwide leadership vacuum. The world is longing for a leader. Now, you know, just from the, the standpoint of geopolitics for decades and decades, the United States has been looked at as a sort of a world leader. And most of the nations of the world, some happily and others not so happily have, have just sort of looked at the U.S. as, you know, the, this is where we get 
sort of some guidance from or wisdom or, or assistance or help or whatever. But you know, that has evaporated pretty quickly. So today we have a political vacuum around the world. We have mass confusion all around the world. We have terrorist attacks every single day in different parts of the world. But the point is there's, there's a massive vacuum. So what does that tell us? It tells us that somebody's going to step into that vacuum at some point. There's, there's going to be somebody, the, as the world goes on and on, uh, sinking into this pit of despair and so forth, there, there's going to be more and more a desire for someone to take the reins, for someone to lead, for someone to show us the way out of this. So we see that politically, the climate is right for a person like this. Economically, we see the same thing. We see that the world is becoming, in a, in a lot of ways, practically speaking, it's a, it's a different world economically than it's been in previous generations. You know, they say that our, my grandchildren, for example, especially my younger grandchildren, will probably not, at a certain point, they won't even know what money is. They won't even know what cash is. All of that uh, is being replaced by electronic funds transfers and things like that. I remember back in the 70s and 80s, Pastor Chuck talking about all of those kinds of things. And, and I remember there was always the, the speculation about you know, how this might work itself out and what it might look like in the future and all different kinds of theories and ideas. And you know, the, the fact of the matter is we're, we're here now. Back then, we were talking about what it might look like. Uh, we're here today. And this whole move toward a cashless society, this whole move toward a one-world economy, this whole move toward ultimately everybody only being able to buy and sell through one means, well, we're moving in that direction. Let's just say that. But then, as I said, technologically, we have the technology. The mark of the beast is going to be a chip put under the skin and so forth. And you know what? It's kind of like the chip is old news in one sense. The technology is advancing so quickly. What is the mark of the beast exactly going to be? We don't know exactly what it's going to be. But we know that it's connected to buying and selling. And we already know that that technology is easily with us today, and it's just going to become more and more advanced and more and more doable as we go into the future. Isn't it crazy how rapidly things have changed in our world in such a short period of time? It's just astounding how quickly things have changed. There's an interesting statement in Daniel that speaks about knowledge being increased. And every time I think of that passage, I think, man, we, we are seeing it. We're living in the midst of it. So we have these developments in these areas. And then think about this for a moment. We've got this image. We've got the, the power to give life to the image. Have you heard of biotechnology and how they're, they're trying to connect robotics and genetics and biology and all of this stuff? It's just it's amazing, the stuff that's happening. But it's all there. And then finally, the spiritual climate. 
The spiritual climate is set. And we see a world that's massively confused spiritually. We see a world that's not less spiritual. It's, it's probably more spiritual than it's been. Much to the dismay of the materialist, the, the atheist, the cultural elite, the progressives who thought that uh, religion was going to be a thing of the past because science has replaced it. There's more religion in the world today than ever. And they're, they're frustrated by it, but that's the reality. But of course, the majority of it is false religion. And there's, there's a continued effort toward amalgamating religion. You know, we need to do away with the divisions among the religions. We need to set aside those contentious parts of, of the various religions and those dogmatic statements. And we need to all just kind of come together around the things that we can uh, embrace. And that's the climate that we find ourselves in. So we know where it's headed. Revelation 13 tells us. We see that the current landscape lends itself to these kinds of things. And that leaves us with the application. And the application for us, I think, is simply this. Jesus said it himself. He said, I must work while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And you know, the, the truth of the matter is we have a limited amount of time and we don't know how much time we do have. And, and of course, on a personal level, none of us know how much time we have. We all assume that we have lots of years ahead of us to do whatever we want and to get our act together whenever we decide, you know, that'll be the best time to do it. We don't know any of that. And we don't know when these other things are going to materialize in the fullest sense either. But we know that the stage is set, so to speak. And so we must work while it is day. The night is coming. And, and the stuff we're reading about is the night. It's the darkest point in human history. It's yet ahead of the world. That's the thing that's unbelievable. It's coming in the future. In the prophet, I think it's Isaiah. And, and actually, um, there's a, a man who wrote a great volume on the life of Jesus. His name was Edersheim. And he wrote this back in the 1800s. And he quoted from Isaiah. And from Isaiah, it said, O watchman, O watchman, what of the morning? And the watchman said, the morning comes and then the night. And this, of course, was Isaiah. The morning comes, Jesus came. The Messiah came into the world. The morning comes, but then the night. And there's still a night that's coming upon the world. And so we must work while it is day. And we have an opportunity today to serve Christ. We have a calling to serve Christ. We have a calling to advance his kingdom. It's time to, you know, set aside the things that distract us. It's time to set aside the things that hold us back. It's time to give ourselves entirely to the call of God upon our lives and what he wants to do with us and in us and through us. And we need to work while it is day. So God help us to do that in light of all the things that we read here and the things that we see transpiring around us in the world. Thank you.
For the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady. Have you ever prayed to God only to feel like he didn't answer your prayers? Or have you ever wondered, if God can help me, then why doesn't he help me? Many have faced this exact barrier at one point in their life, both Christians and non-Christians alike. Well, in his book, The God I Won't Believe In, Nick Cady addresses this very topic that has hindered so many during different stages of life and that are hindering many today. If you want to understand what the Bible reveals about this topic or other barriers to embracing Christianity, you need to get this book. The book, The God That I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity by Nick Cady is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.